listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast from the 2nd to the 6th of October. Uh, a few highlights this week. They include, uh, we had a chat to Nazim Hussain about his upcoming show, Public Frenemy, and also um, talked about my school reunion. Yeah, and we had a chat about strange business combinations. Got a lot of phone calls about that. Triple yeah. listeners have a lot of opinions on that subject. And we talked to Professor Gillian Triggs, ex-head of the Human Rights Commission. Three triple R. You are listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Uh, on the weekend, I went to my high school reunion. Wow. Wow. What year reunion was it? 20 years. Wow. Were you always keen to go? I know some people really like those things and some people, you know, don't want to I, go at all. I, 10 years ago, I, I, I would have been, ugh, I don't know, because I know I would have been trying to convince people that comedy was doing okay and I would have no <laughs> proof of that. <laughs> you know? Now you go back a superstar. Yeah, now I go back and, and you know, there's people like, oh, you're on TV. And there was ah. others who were like, are you? <laughs> um, what do you do? Oh. Did you have a good time in high school? Well, this is, yeah, yeah, I did. And this is the high school where I was only there the last two years. Like I went for year 11 and 12. So I'll be honest, I struggled to, I walked in the room and went, oh, I don't remember. I've got a vague recollection. Do you, how many people would have been in the year level? Uh, Maybe about a hundred. Okay. And I I think there was only about maybe 20 or 30 people that came to the reunion. That's all. Yeah, there wasn't many. Grand final weekend, mate. Is is that because people have left the... People left the town? Oh, heaps of people left town. There wasn't many that, you know, there's a few that stayed. But, but I guess it's a big ask to come all the way back from Yeah, Melbourne. yeah. And it's 20 years and it's, you know, people have got families and, and whatnot. And Was there anyone that you're excited to see that you hadn't thought of in a while? Well, everyone there that there was a few, the people that I'd completely forgotten oh. about and was like, oh, oh, that's right. I knew you once. How strange is that? It is, it is really bizarre. You yeah. spend so much time with them as well. Yeah. Like but every moment of your, like, eight yeah, hours yeah. a day. And, and it's, it's such intense experiences too. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny, like, listening to the stories that they remember. Like, oh, about you, your, yeah. about everything. Oh, what did you discover about yourself? Um, stuff that I can't say on air. Okay. So... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Look forward to hearing about that. But I feel like that's kind of the last two years of school. I don't know. I feel like maybe they're the best, better ones. Like you're over some of the worst traumas of adolescence then. Oh, maybe. I think so. Don't and, you reckon? And this as well, yeah. because it was like I was. I did year 11 twice. So I started a new high school. I, I'd already done year 11 once. I'm like, oh, I know what's going on. This is fine. I got this. I just, yeah. Just kind of ease into it. Um, but I took, I took Kath uh, to the reunion and apparently – uh, that's not a done thing. People don't take partners to reunions. I didn't realise this. I got into a bit of trouble for it, and I'm sorry. So who got in trouble from who? The people from the school or the cat? No, 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 no. From um, just uh, mostly Kath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. It might... Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and I'm not to deny. You know, that's oh, she's perfectly within reason to. Um, 
for that because we got there and why did you think you well because were it just partners. made you know every on the invite on the Facebook stuff it was all um, partners are welcome people other people mentioned they were bringing partners oh, it okay. seemed well, that's quite, all right. yeah quite obvious that you know partners were a thing well that's what I was led mm, to believe sure. Um, and I, this is the first reunion I've ever been to, and um, so I said, Kath, I'd like, you know, I'd, I, it was important for for me. I said I'd really like you to come, and also, you know, cause you to, don't want to go alone. I mean, it'd feel a bit weird turning up if you don't, you don't know if you're going to get on with anyone. You'd just be standing there by yourself. Yeah, there was a bit of that, and also just to, you know, have, you know, we were visiting the parents and stuff like that as well. It was just, you know, it was nice. Um, but then when we get got to the reunion, there was like maybe. Kath claims there was only one other partner there and I disagreed and said there was at least two others. <laughs> um, but so did it matter? Like, if you, no one knows each other anyway. Can she just pretend to have gone to the school or... Oh, no, everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did nah, a few subjects people, there. People knew. I was the exchange student in Germany. I've changed a lot since high school. <laughs> yeah. But it was, you know, it was like... She was just like, oh, I could have been doing my flaws. And I'm like, that's fair. I'm really sorry. As a, someone who does... Um, renovation myself i sympathize with that <laughs> jesus christ uh but the the most exciting thing that happened yes uh well, we found good they had good whiskey at the bar so that was what well, made exciting. us stay oh, for a bit well, what's the complain about there exactly Lovely. nothing to complain about there but the other exciting thing there was one uh one person who was in my maths class who um he ended up leaving um after high school, went up and played rugby right. in Queensland, got injured, had to come back home. That that type of – he was just a very funny Ocker okay character, you know, very country. Here's it going. Um, and he rocked up. Like he'd been to a Bucks party. Oh, God. Ah. And he, so he's just popping in. <laughs> Two at one night? Yeah. <laughs> Bucks party school reunion. Yeah, popped in from the Bucks party. He went back to the Bucks party after he stayed for a little bit, but he got there. And because there was – I was standing near the door when he came in and there was, like, uh, all the name badges on there. Yeah. And so there was only a few left and I went, hey, mate, that's yours. you got to put that on. And he put his arm around me and looked at me and gave me this look of, oh, I don't actually know who you are. <laughs> Like he just went, oh, has he? Oh, no. Who Did you, you? recognise him straight away? Yeah, straight away. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, he looked at me and I said, I'm Geraldine Hickey. We did massing and I pointed at my name badge and he looked at it and then looked back at my face and he went, ah, that's right, you became a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was in the middle of trying to talk, well, I didn't become one. And he went, it's not an occupation. <laughs> Yeah. And he went, it's all right. Well, he, goes, well. he goes, it's all right. My cousin became a lesbian. Jeez, Christmases are a bit different. What? <laughs> I know. And I just what? went, oh, oh okay, God, mate. This conversation's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And then he and then he walks off. Christmases are a bit different. <laughs> oh, the yeah. lesbian Christmases. Yeah. And then, and then at one stage he leans in and he goes, I voted yes. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, I voted yes for you. So I'm like, well, my people, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And then... Um, <laughs> I voted yes. <laughs> and then I the most... Guy. Oh, Oh, man, he's so, he's so beautiful. And then <coughs> uh, they were doing some speeches 
Um, just as, you know, a couple of thank you for, you know, we're all here, blah, blah, blah. Nothing special. Um, although I don't know because he was too busy talking to me at the time. He goes, ah, yeah, but... And then at one stage he goes, yeah, you know, come back and people were like, what do you mean doing? I own three houses. <laughs> and then he walked off. <laughs> people think I haven't done much of it. I own three properties. Well, I'm a lesbian. Yes. <laughs> Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. We're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff and Sarah Geraldine. We'll be back tomorrow, but tonight at Melbourne Uni, the 2017 Sir Kenneth Bailey Memorial Lecture is taking place. It's being delivered by our next guest, Professor Gillian Triggs, former president of the Australian Human Rights Commission, who will be speaking on the subject of the rule of law in a post-truth era. Right now, though, she's joining us in the studio. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning. You were appointed to the Human Rights Commission back in 2012. It seems an ages ago <laughs> now. <laughs> Did you imagine at the time that you were going to be walking into such a controversial and gruelling role? And if you did know that, would you have taken it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's been true that presidents of the Australian Human Rights Commission historically have always been subject to controversy and it's not at all unusual for them to be um, uh, crossing swords, really, with, with senior politicians and even the Prime Minister. And perhaps the, the example I could give very briefly is um, uh, uh, Sir Ron Wilson, who was a member of the High Court of Australia. He was a very highly regarded Western Australian lawyer um, and, but I think in fa- fairness, a black letter lawyer. He was, he was no activist, he was yep. no reformer. Uh, he did his job as High Court judge, stood down and was appointed president of the Human Rights Commission. And he did the um, inquiry known as the Bringing Them Home Report, but we refer to it as the Stolen Children's Report 20 years ago. And here we have a very conservative black letter lawyer who, when faced with the evidence of the stolen children, children, um, produced a, a, a credible, balanced, measured report, but concluded uh, that this amounted to genocide. Now, that was an extraordinary thing to do 20 years ago. Um, and certainly most public international lawyers, including myself, would have been rather hesitant to go that far. And yet, having looked at the evidence, looked people in the eye, he said, this is genocide and was prepared to stand by it and was much criticised mm. uh, as a consequence. So I'm not answering your question, of course. Um, I think that I expected controversy. I didn't expect um, to be so uh, roundly criticised f- so unfairly for what was in fact an evidence-based report and to be accused of political bias was just quite simply um, a personal attack that wasn't justified. But would I do it again? Yes, I would, and for a very particular reason, and that is that the job is a national role. And so I travelled all over Australia, um, you know, Tasmania to, to the Northern Territory, to aged care facilities in the centre of Australia, to obviously to Western Australia and Indigenous communities. Um, that, that's a privilege that I think I would never otherwise have had. And so for that reason alone, I don't regret it. How do you think the role is going to evolve going forward then, given that it's been through this period of being highly politicised, criticised by someone like Tony Abbott calling to abolish it? Do you think that it's changed now? Um, or will we cha- will change going forward? Well, I think uh, that the new president and the new, and the new commissioners are uh, very sensibly feeling their way into the role. 
um, and it really remains to be seen. My my observation of the commissioners that were under my presidency was it usually took one or two years for them to really decide sort of where they were going, what they were going to um, place their primary focus on um, and what they would see as a signature piece of work for their period as either president or, or commissioner. I expect it will take, and they are taking their time at the moment to see you know, what, what they want to emphasise. I think it'll wax and wane over the years. Um, for the moment, it's relatively quiet, but easily a major issue could arise in the next one or two years and you'd find the president and the commissioner standing up for something and finding themselves in the same kind of hot water. So I think we just simply have to assume that it goes with the territory. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're with the Human Rights Commission, as a commissioner or as president, you're almost invariably going to be subject to to some level of criticism. Well, yes, I'll ask you for your take on that. You mentioned Ron Wilson and his um, Forgotten Children um uh, sorry, his Stolen Children report, mm-hmm. your report in 2015 that, that really became, I guess, the centrepiece of the first criticism about you was about the detention of refugee children, the Forgotten Children report. What do you see now as the central human rights issue in Australia? Do you still see it as being refugees? I mean, I've heard you speak, recently speaking about Indigenous mm-hmm. affairs. Mm-hmm. Where do you see as the sort of central focus for human rights activism today? Well, perhaps I, I could begin dealing with that by saying that for most Australians, most of the time, that they have a pretty good um, environment for human rights. So what you're re- when you talk about human rights, you're really talking about pockets of, of uh, injustice. Um, there's no doubt, of course, that uh, apart from the 42 or 43 children still held on Nauru, um, the children are no longer in detention in, in Australia. Um, what's emerging and is very little known is, is rising numbers of people in immigration detention on uh, character uh, visa cancellations. Um, that's, that's definitely a problem. It won't attract the same level of public interest because I think the public was interested in the future of children uh, and the treatment of children. There's much less interest in the treatment of individuals who, for one reason or another, often criminal actions, have, been, have lost their visas and are now in, often in indefinite detention. That remains an issue, and I think the 25 or 30,000 people in Australia whose claims to refugee status have yet to be determined, that's an ongoing problem and that's going to get worse as as the trauma of impermanence um, becomes clearer as the years go by. So that, that remains a problem. But I think a key issue for Australia that we have simply got to come to grips with uh, is uh, Indigenous policy. Um, the rates of, um, of violence, of sexual abuse, uh, of uh, failure to get a proper education, of, of remote communities... Uh, we have simply, I think, we have got to come to terms with the need to consult more uh, respectfully with with Indigenous peoples. That's one area, but there are other areas, uh, and, and asylum seekers, uh, Indigenous peoples, are the areas, that, of course, the United Nations has been most mm-hmm. concerned about. But if we go to other issues, um, I think the care of the elderly... Um, and we've got to come to terms somehow or another with the very high rates of, of youth suicide. Um, domestic violence remains a serious problem across all uh, branches of, uh, of, of Australian life, uh, across the country. Um, I, I think we just simply have to take a human rights lens to some of these social problems and not see them only as social issues for, for, for welfare programs, but where you have fundamental human rights that need to be respected.
I was amused to read a column by Paul Kelly of The Australian uh, about religious freedom mm. where he was well, kind of lamenting the absence of an Australian Bill of Rights, which has been um, mm-hmm. something that for years his newspaper has been lambasting. Mm-hmm. What's your take? Are you, um, do you think we need a Bill of Rights as a central priority? And if so, what difference do you think it would make in Australia? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, firstly, and to be very clear, I think it's absolutely fundamental to deal with those other issues that I've been describing, that we have a Bill of Rights. We're the only democracy in the world without one. We're the only common law country in the world without one. And it starts to show up uh, when you see the treatment of um, Indigenous peoples, uh, of of the of the elderly and elderly abuse, and when you look at, um, of, of course, at asylum seeker and indefinite detention issues. But it's, this is a curious, it's very interesting that you've picked up on this because Paul Kelly and others at The Australian have campaigned against a Bill of Rights for decades. They've done everything they can to argue against a Bill of Rights. And yet, um, and indeed, of course, p- consistent with that argument was they wanted the Race Discrimination Act uh, reformed, 18C um, abolished and various other. And they've been absolutely consistent about that. Now, suddenly, they're, for the first time, they're talking about the need for the protection of religious freedom in Australia. And I'm afraid I, I'd have to, I, I have to observe that this is a, a deliberate attempt to divert a discussion about uh, equality before the law and marriage equality uh, to a question of religious freedom. Australians have a very high level of religious freedom and something that I notice Paul Kelly hasn't mentioned is that unlike other fundamental freedoms, the right to freedom of religion is protected in our, um, in our constitution. It's one oh. of the most uh, soundly protected rights that we have. Uh, and uh, it's protected, again, explicitly by the Sex Discrimination Act. We've heard the term freedom of speech becoming a big central part of political discussion in Australia recently. There are certain sections uh, of Australian politics, uh, I guess, that are really kind of pushing for freedom of speech to be a, a central right. Why do you think that this right has become so stressed above others in the last few years? Well, again, I think it's um, it's partly by uh, conservative commentators who've taken such an exception to Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. That is that, and I'm sure your listeners are well aware of it, the, you, it is a civil offence. You are prohibited from offending, insulting, intimidating and humiliating somebody in the public arena because of their race. Now, that has been a bit of a lightning rod uh, for... Uh, those who argue that it breaches the right to freedom of speech. And, of course, again, they fail to mention, and I do believe it's deliberately misleading, they fail to mention 18D, which specifically protects the right to freedom of speech, and it's one of our strongest legislative protections for the right to freedom of speech, and that is that it's protected for artistic purposes, education, um, matters of public interest, etc., etc. It's a very, very comprehensive, good-faith protection for freedom of speech. But but, uh, you're right in raising the issue because unlike uh, the right to freedom of religious expression, which is protected by the Constitution. The right to freedom of speech is not, and the High Court has had to imply a right of political communication as a necessary consequence of a representative democracy. But we don't actually have a formal right, uh, but, but it's protected in, in, um, by the courts in case after case after case, and it is protected explicitly by the Racial Discrimination Act. Mm. Your topic tonight is about the rule of law in a post truth area it's a topic that raises a whole series of interesting questions and something i've thought about a lot i mean 18c seems to be a good example of some of the issues that come up there where the 
case that was brought against Conservative commentator Andrew Bolt was won by the complainants who won both a legal victory mm-hmm. and I would say a clear moral yes. victory when you look mm-hmm. at the ruling that was made in that case. But when you look at the outcome, Bolt's career thereafter took off right. astronomically and in, in many ways he was able to milk mm-hmm. that case mm-hmm. to pursue... Um, to, to increase his stature as a conservative right. commentator in that kind of environment, what role can human rights law play when the response to it seems to be so political and not so much simply a question of either law or morality? Well, the, the Bolt case, of course, was, was very unusual because it's very rare for a, uh, a prosecution, civil prosecution, to go forward successfully. Uh, but this one did against Bolt for the very particular reasons that he acted um, without good faith and he got his facts wrong and consistently wrong. Now, the judge um, made that very clear and said on those grounds he was not defended uh, by the right to freedom of speech. It's a very rare case. But you're quite right in saying that that did seem to uh, increase the conservative interest in his uh, blogs and his TV work and so on. Um, and it's given him a, perhaps a stronger voice than he might mm. otherwise have had. Well, that's fine. He can have a voice. Uh, but he his voice can only be one which... Um, does not breach 18C. In other words, he cannot continue to um, abuse the right to freedom of speech by making comments that are uh, racially motivated in the public arena and that amount to a breach. Now, I think the law works very well, uh, but that has been the notorious case. Well, now, your question is, what, what in light of that... Um, apparent victory uh, by by Bolt, can a Human Rights Commission do? Well, I think one has to be very clear here that despite the efforts of um, two uh, of the Prime Ministers to, and the attorneys, of course, to uh, amend 18C, they've failed. The multicultural community rose up really as one, and they did in our offices, came to see us many times uh, to say, what can we do to stop amendments to this provision? And we, we need this provision because it provides a basis for a relatively harmonious multicultural society. So the, the, the truth is that, that, that um, the forces in favour of uh, some restrictions on freedom of speech, in this case on the basis of race, remained in place. So, in fact, uh, the, the, uh, the, the real um, gain from all of this has been a multicultural Australia and, and an Australia that wants to keep uh, uh, racial uh, comments in the public arena to, to a minimum, to where people are more responsible about what they say and more accurate about what they say. Mm. You see the point, though. I mean, I guess the other obvious example is, is refugee, mm-hmm. the refugee mm-hmm. issue where Australia is consistently criticised by representatives mm. of the UN for violation mm-hmm. of the, you know, its, its treaty obligations, and yet it's found to be in violation of international law. Nothing happens. No. You can mm-hmm. see why people then become cynical. Yes. What is the point of international law? Yeah. Well, the great, the great dilemma... And the greatest difficulty for Australia, and this brings us back to your questions earlier about, you know, a Bill of Rights. If we had a Bill of Rights, either legislated or entrenched in the Constitution, the latter being highly unlikely, so let's think about a legislated Bill of Rights, that would mean that the courts would always have a benchmark against which to measure whether indefinite detention of a child uh, who's seeking asylum is 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 wrong, uh, is is in breach of the the prohibition on arbitrary detention. Um, this is the this is the great impediment in Australia, and so we shouldn't assume that the rest of the world operates this way. They they don't. We are 
are almost exceptional and we're isolationist in the way in which we protect or fail to protect these issues. Um, is there a problem with international law and enforceability? Yes, there is. Um, international law is still a relatively primitive and growing system. It's relatively new. Um, and we are still groping with the notion of state sovereignty and autonomy versus uh, international law. In fact, of course, and I don't want to give you or your listeners a lecture on this, but most <laughs> of the time um, states abide by international law. Um, sea, but it's boring. It's sea lanes, it's weak contracts, it's postal services, it's overflight, it's all sorts of things, dip diplomatic uh, representations, the role of the UN organisation. All of these work quite well most of the time. But where, human, where international law and ultimately human rights law fails is where you have conflict, where you have international um, movements of people and where national interests seem to be at stake. Mostly states follow international law or abide by international law because it's their interest to do it. We, we accept sea lanes and want them through the Indonesian archipelago and up through the South China Sea because that's where our trade lies. So we abide by those laws. But, of course, you can't pick and choose, although, although mm. politicians do. Um, and human rights, particularly uh, where we're criticised internationally, it's very difficult to implement them in Australia without the um, added advantage that virtually any other comparable country has, which is a Bill of Rights or some legislative set of standards that would give the courts the power to do something about it. At the moment, the courts are relatively uh, powerless where Parliament has passed clear laws that state that you can, for example, hold somebody indefinitely for being an asylum seeker. Their lecture tonight is called is entitled The Rule of Law in a Post-Truth Era. It's taking place at the University of Melbourne. You can catch more information there on the website. The speaker is our guest, Professor Gillian Triggs. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Three Triple R. You are listening to Breakfasters. <laughs> Uh, just whistling, whistling along to Baruka Salt. That'll be fun. Hey, um, this is a timely reminder to let everyone know that we have a text line and the number is 04669810027. But I wanted to talk about... Not Mr Stabby who just arrived, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We let someone into the building and Jeff said, I hope it's not Mr Stabby. <laughs> now we're all relieved that it's not Mr Stabby. Good. Just yeah. to... Anyway, carry that on. Is, that Sorry. is quite the relief. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh, so I mentioned the other day that I went to um, my high school reunion back home in Albury. And so the place where we went to uh, was um, at night time. It was like a restaurant. Oh, yes. So, and we had like a room at the back, although it was a glass room, so it felt very much like we were in a zoo. Uh -huh. <laughs> But that's you know it was it was fine it was whatever um, but it was very nice uh, kind of it's quite a big like a hall type um, imagine like the um, uh, what's that little creatures beer hall oh, place yeah. where the little creatures beer hall yeah that's yeah. what it is called that isn't it <laughs> <laughs> thank you um, so it had like lots of tables everywhere and everyone sits there and eats dinner but then once it hits eleven o'clock move the tables and chairs back. DJ comes in, dance floor. Amazing. Oh. Goes from a restaurant to a nightclub. So country town. Yeah. Isn't I love it? that. Yeah, it's, All it's your entertainment using, needs in the one spot. Yes. And yeah. using your space to your full advantage. Wisely. And I I didn't think think of it as a big thing at all, but Kath was like, that doesn't work. It's not going to work. I'm like, but it does. Yeah. This is the way we do things. <laughs> Out here. Yeah. 
that's a, you know, and then it made me think of you know other um, you know business combos that don't quite that shouldn't on paper shouldn't work together, but mm. do like for example, there was also because I said it's just like the um, uh, the pizza joint that sells that hires shoes. And she went, oh. what? So I think I've talked about this before. There was, oh, yes. Yeah, growing up we had um, the nightclub. It was a one nightclub before we, you know, found out the sweet combo of restaurants and nightclubs. <laughs> there was this nightclub and, of course, it was always you're not getting in in those shoes. You're not getting in in those shoes. And then um, and then they'd send people, you know, if they were nice people, they'd go, just go across to Sweetheart's Pizza. And you go across to Sweetheart's Pizza and you go, oh, can I hire some shoes? And they, they had a whole collection of these black leather shoes. Of acceptable shoes. Why yeah. were people turning... Oh, so I just, I guess, people just turning up in unacceptable shoes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just people, like, you know, it's a country. People would rock up in thongs and sandals and stuff and they went, you can't come in in those. Someone so. asked if the wizard DJ... Was that the DJ that... Oh, the guy. The guy, you know, the DJ, that you're famous DJ from your country town. Oh, Steve Bowen. Yeah, is that the wizard or is that someone else? I don't know. I don't know, the wizard. Mm. No, the wizard was someone else, wasn't it? That was part of the same conversation. Everyone was talking about the wizard. Yeah. He's in Melbourne suburbs. The one who lives up in Belgrave. Oh, yeah, that's different. Yeah. We, we right. don't know what we're talking about. No, don't worry about that. <laughs> Not was, for the first time. In Brunswick, there was a place that did tattoos and sold pizzas. Oh, yeah. Until oh. recently, I don't think it exists there anymore. There you go. We've had a text saying there's an Indian Hungarian restaurant in Clifton Hill. That's all right. That's oh, all that's right. fun. That is too. Curry's on one pace, Snitchell on the other. <laughs> Yum. Yeah, love it. Um, there's a whole. Well, no, um, the the place where I when I go to the gym, I go to there's like a 24 hour like a 7 Eleven thing, mm-hmm. there, and I get like a. A protein thing before I go. It's my reward for going to the gym. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it always used to come up on when you do the FPOS as so and so's jewelry. Oh, that's uh, that's happened to me before in different places in the city. Like it would be printed. Yes, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I couldn't work it out. And anyway, he was telling me that he actually runs a jewelry shop around the corner. Oh. And so he just uses the same business. So he runs like a Seven Eleven knockoff sort of oh. thing by day, and he's got a jewelry shop. By night, night. that's so exotic. Yeah. But anyway, there's a whole, there's pages and pages of people are obsessed with. Are you guys not more weirded out by the pizza tattoo place that existed around the corner until just recently? I feel like you reacted very unsurprisingly. Sorry, let me. Would you get a a tattoo in a place that sold sold pizzas as well? Uh, well, I'd, I'd eat a pizza while I was getting a tattoo. Yeah, okay, all right. Down. All yeah. right. Yeah, I just feel like that didn't make as much sense to me, but anyway. Yeah. No, I've just seen a photo of a place that is simultaneously affordable cremations and no place like home senior care. Well, oh, that that's... makes sense. Go from yeah. one to the other. Yeah. Segway. So that's, that's a good one. <laughs> Apparently, there's a, there's a place that sells um, water pumps and bicycles. So it's uh-huh. a, yeah, things that you know. I think places in the country, like people that grew up in the country, like, like it's like, oh yeah, that's completely normal. It doesn't take someone else to step yeah. in and go, "What are you selling pizza and tattoos together for?" Got any more, Jeff? <laughs> uh, dentist and Thai restaurant. No, in the same building. that's not real. <laughs> That's not real. I don't know. It looks like it's just a sign, so it might just be they're in the same. Uh, uh, I do love a, an, an odd next door neighbour. Ah, oh, yes. Like a, a sushi restaurant <laughs> and an aquarium. Oh, that's unfortunate. They're um, fun. Roderick's, Roderick's <laughs> driving school and liquor store. There you go. <laughs> I don't believe these. Yeah. <laughs> if you could start a restaurant or something that was two businesses, what would you do? Ooh. I'd go. Um, Wedding cakes and sneakers. 
That's a good idea because yeah. I don't know. Because maybe you want to run. Someone's ringing to see. Yeah, if they've let's got do a, it. Oh, I haven't put someone online for it. Okay. What could go wrong? Oh, maybe they're not ringing for this. Hello, you're on Triple R. Hello. Um, for a while in Seaford, we had antiques and fresh fish. What? <laughs> Stuff like that. What do you mean? Sorry, one second. Just fresh fish to eat or fresh fish like an aquarium to buy, like have a, as a no, pet? Yes, fresh fish to eat. Did you did you ever go and buy some fresh fish and then think that's a nice chair? <laughs> I did go and buy some fish and think that's a nice plate with the queen's head on it. Okay. Put the fish on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you. Bye. Um, um, hey, you're on Triple R. Ah, how you going? Good, how you doing? Not bad. I saw a hilarious, or maybe it's not so hilarious in case of what's going on, but uh, a, a guitar shop in America that also sells guns. Oh. oh. I feel like in America that gun combination yeah. would work with just about anything. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that, is a, that doesn't surprise me. For some reason I find that a fairly, like maybe a normal combination. Yeah. It's... It's almost yin and yang, really. Isn't Any it? ball, there's that as well. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, lots of people calling through with these things. Hello, oh, you're on Triple R. Uh, hi. Uh, a really famous one was the um, uh, adult bookshop and pet shop in Young, and it actually made it into Bill Bill, Bill Bryson's. Um, oh uh, yeah, book the book about Australia. No way. Yeah, yeah, really? Under. Yeah. How do they... Yeah, but I, I knew about it before that. Oh, yeah. oh did you now? <laughs> before I became famous. <laughs> oh, thanks for your call, mate. Right, bye. See ya. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, you're on Triple R. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got one um, roller skating and self-storage. Oh, oh, what? Well, you went to roller skate around the storage place? <laughs> Well, it's more like it's down at Rye and it's like a roller rink, but they've got containers all around the outside of the place. That is, I feel like that is good use of space. Yeah. Once again, yeah. we've got enough room for roller skate. We can store some stuff here as well. <laughs> Making good use of what yeah. you've got. I've got one. Thanks, mate. Thanks. I've got one more. <laughs> which is This is a good one. Maple Peabody's Nightclub. Beauty parlor and chainsaw repair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For all those men who just want to look a little lovelier in their lives. Three triple. <sighs> You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. You'll know our next guest from Legally Brown and a bunch of other TV gigs as well as his stand up this Saturday. You can catch him at the Yarraville Club. During his show, doing his show, Public Frenemy. Welcome to the Breakfast Studio, Nazim Hussain. How's it going? Yeah. Very good. <laughs> this blurb for the show discusses right. your love, not so love, <laughs> relationship with Australia. Where are you with Wait, that at the moment? Well, you know what? I wrote that blurb before I even wrote the show, but I knew it was going to be something about uh, not really uh, being 100%. With with Australia, so yeah, no, I'm, the, the, I don't know, man. Can you ever really hundred percent love your country? You know, can, can you? I think no. only if you're an American. Yeah, even American. Yeah, yeah. Nah. Maybe not so much anymore. Everyone's kneeling and stuff over here. Yeah, yeah. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, it's uh, to get to, you know to, doing an extra show on, on Saturday. It's uh, did, did it all over Australia, and then Edinburgh for a month, then London for a week, and I'm um, actually Are I'm you over it. Um, well, you know what? Like in the UK, you got to mix. Like I had to basically the whole show had to pretty much change because mm. uh, 
you know, take all out, take all the Australianisms out. Yeah. Oh. But um, so I'm probably going to do this show on Saturday and kind of explain Australia to Australians. <laughs> <laughs> just have to just get out of that. So I'm from this town called Melbourne in Australia. Um, oh, yeah, of course you'd have to do a lot of that, that over kind of there. stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's, it's exciting. It's it's. I actually did I did a weekend in Canberra like, the last weekend, and I just you just forget how. Like Australians are just they're, they're pretty sa- we're a pretty savvy comedy audience, you know. They're loud laughers in Edinburgh, it's a lot of smiling and. and yeah, I've nodding. heard that, and in London, it's you know they sit there with their arms folded and mm. go, "Come on, like, what have yeah, you got?" L- London's a bit like Melbourne. They're you know they're, they're they're pretty cool, but they can be really loud, or they can be you know a lot of there's a lot, they're, they're, they're a bit naughty as well. Uh, well. What kind of things did you have to explain to them? What what, what sort of stuff? Uh, Pauline Hanson. Oh, but you know, oh, imagine how did that. you explain that? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a lot of people, as soon as you say a name, that, uh, like sometimes uh, the only thing people know about Australia is Pauline. When I went to Indonesia, oh. uh, I did all these, this is a couple of years ago, and I had to do all these like interviews. I was there on a program, and people kept going, Pauline Hansen, are you okay? Like, <laughs> is she coming after you? Like, she's basically pr- portrayed as this, like this, this monster that's, that's after Muslims, and you know, she, but she's, she's kind of like a clown over here. Over there, she's taken seriously in Indonesia. In, in the UK, like people coming up to me saying, one of your real senators wore a, wore a burqa in Parliament <laughs> House. I was like, you're joking. Do they know about that? That's yeah, so it was, embarrassing. It was huge news. It was funny, you know, because oh. I can't believe she did that. She, she, she went on <laughs> trying to make a point about how no one could recognise her. She's like, no, none of you know. And then I was like, we know it's you, Pauline. No one can <laughs> see the orange aura around your head, you know. But it was... Uh, it was huge news, but no, it's, it's, so it's good, good to be back. Good to be back in Australia where everybody gets all that. But, um, <laughs> um, can I ask you an annoying question? <clears throat> can I ask you about I'm a celebrity now so then I won't ask more questions <laughs> about it anymore? I certainly can. I'm, I'm friends with them all. So we, we, um, yeah, that's what I want to know. Are you really mates or is well, it all? Well, not all of them. I haven't seen all of them. I saw like a couple of nights ago, I hung out with Dane, <gasps> Ash, Casey, Dane's the one Chris. She's- She's worried about. You worried about? Oh, I don't know. I just want to know what Swanee's like. Swanee's a he's a he's a he's a really fun guy. Like he's um he is kind of like his reputation. So we went out for yeah, dinner right. at Francois. Oh, fancy, you know, fancy place. But uh, you know, you can take uh, Dane Swan into a fancy restaurant, but you can't take the the the, the rat bag in him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the door, like you can't. Like he's he's a, he's, a, he's he's really fun. You know, he's um like I'm the opposite of him. I think socially, like I don't drink. Uh, I've never done that kind of party life stuff, but hanging out with Dane, you're just like, wow. I think I've, I, I feel like I'm having a midlife crisis every time. <laughs> I've missed out on so much. Like they're pretty. It's a fun bunch. Like it's we. Like we were hanging out at Ash's place the other night after because they, they were filming something for Channel Ten, and um, and uh, yeah, it was, it's just funny how comfortable we all are with each other. Like, it's, yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's almost like a weird family. So how different is what was happening behind the camera from what people actually saw? I don't know. I haven't actually watched the seasons. So I don't really know what people saw. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. But but it was um, it was it was tough. It was a tough. It was probably the toughest thing mentally that I've ever done. Like um, why? What made it? No food. No uh, no no proper food. No internet. No. Let's <coughs> see. Excuse me. That's it. That's right. Um, you know, like you, you, no contact with the outside world. No news updates. N- no actual stimulation. Like we're just stuck there. Just, yeah. How bored it was so, were you? It was super boring, and that's what I think the show relies on. Um, everybody getting super bored to the point that they just start getting bickery with each other yeah. or just divulging or just talking about stuff or, or, or arguing about politics. Me and Steve Price just used to argue 
just to kind of pass the time. Um, yeah. And I presume yeah. that's what you do in prison. I reckon in prison, <coughs> like all the things that you do, like yeah. you get into fights, you, you you argue about plums. So you tempted to shank someone? Yeah, to like I swear, <laughs> we were like we used to look at monkeys, and I remember like the first week, like they're so cute. About a week and a half into it, we were like, how are we gonna? Kill these monkeys, like in the truth. <laughs> like when we were legitimately talking about, like the most passive contestants, like you know, Natalie Bassing thought was like, yeah. I would get a stick and stab it, <laughs> and then make it bleed to death, and then take the skin off, and then you know, oh and, and just show it to the other ones so that they all get freaked. Like it was all we were getting dark and weird, and they didn't put all that stuff to air. But it was, you know, it's a family friendly show, and there was a lot of adult conversation. It's weird. Like a week into it, you realise that your guards down, even though you can see the cameras, and that's a very bizarre kind of thing to go through. Did you go in there thinking, oh, I'm going to get a show out of this? No, I just went in thinking. Actually, I had a, um, a luxury item. Everyone got to take a luxury item. Uh, mine was a hammock. And on my hammock bag, I had all these notes from my family that scribbled stuff. Miss you, thinking of you. My manager wrote, Nazim, just think of the ticket sales. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I, every day when I was like, oh, man, why the hell am I in? I looked at my bag. I was like, that's why I'm here. Were you Think- surprised how many people liked you? I honestly thought I'd be out in the first week. Because that's my big fear about those things that you would discover that everyone hates you. Well, I just thought no one knows me and, um, you know, like I'm clearly the least uh, – I've got the least profile in there. I'm from like SBS yeah. and, you know, <laughs> yeah. even there people don't really know – you know, it's not like I'm a known name on the network over there. So it's, it's just, you know, uh, I, was, I was very surprised. Um, I didn't, And you don't have any idea what they're put, putting out onto the TV. Um, so it's, just, it's bloody bizarre. It's a weird, it's a weird competition because you can't really. It's not like a cooking show where you just got to cook better, or a, a show where there's skill involved. It's just people yeah. voting. For, it's a popularity contest. So it's it was, so odd. It's weird, was there man. many people over in, in the UK that knew that you did it? Yeah, because it's a, it's a bloody massive show over there. Like I think ten to fifteen million people watch that show. The Australian version. Of no, the the, the, the British one. Yeah. So if if they know that you're on the Australian one, they're oh, like, yeah. oh my god, you must be some. Like, You're a big deal. Or, or tra- <laughs> you must be some like topless model guy, or, like or just some, <laughs> some beach. Like I don't know. It's a very different type of demographic over there. So I had to keep explaining. I was like, no, nah, in Australia, it's a very different show. Like it's not up late. Like it's a very political, highbrow, <laughs> cerebral. Show. It's a gender setting. You know, like the big issues are on there. It's very competitive to get on. <laughs> I had to rebrand the show. Talking about different demographics, you were also as a, a correspondent on the Netflix show Bill Nye Saves the World with yeah. Bill Nye the Science Guy. How Man. did that? You know what? So, so he's in Australia right now. I'm actually um, I'm doing a show with him at uh, his show at the Sydney Opera House on Monday night. If anyone's listening, right? Um, know, we've all got stuff going on. <laughs> no, but he's well, like, he just got me to do something. But basically, that that kind of came out of nowhere. He's just uh, he's a he's a huge name in America and, and outside. Of, like, I had no idea who, who he was until. Like they approached me, um, the, so he does a show, a science show. Americans grew up watching this guy and they have this huge love for him. So if he walks down the street in America, like he's recognised as much as an A-list guy. But there's a sort of like nostalgic kind of like uh. love because they, every, some Americans mm. learnt science from him. Mm. So he's doing this show now. Where he's talking about contemporary issues and like design of babies to climate change to you know water conservation to, and then he um yeah his producers were looking for correspondents and I don't know how they came across my name, but they obviously. You know, they uh, they want a, a, a non-American. You know, and I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here! This is before all. This is last year. Oh, fair yeah, it's the second season. And so they they did all this research, and then and you know, sometimes you, you audition for like a hundred things, and nothing ever happens. This kind of happened yeah. out of nowhere, and just like that, I was in Edinburgh last year. They said, "Can you come over and film stuff?" And then it just sort of just sort of happened. And, um, yeah, we just did the second season now. Cool. Um, really fun. I mean, we're filming all over the place. We filmed in um, Harrison in Arkansas. 
which is which uh, is the number one uh, most racist city in America. Oh, yeah, oh, I, I googled horrifying. it when I got there. Yeah, it was, it's, it's the hate quite a competition. The KKK. <laughs> I know. There's a lot. I was like, it's a, what? What's made you so special? <laughs> but apparently, the head of the KKK lives there. And um, they actually wouldn't let me out of the hotel when we got there unless I was accompanied by white people. <laughs> Are you serious? Did you, yeah. What did, oh, I was like, this did is sick. I'm like living it. Um, but did uh, you feel it when you were there? Well, like so, I didn't, so I didn't get a chance to walk the streets because they kept me in the hotel until the morning that we were supposed to leave. And I thought, stuff this. I'm just going to run out. And so without the crew seeing, I just left the hotel, walked down the street. And then I started freaking myself. And I was like, oh, my God, all these pickup trucks. Like, they're looking at me. And, they didn't ca- and I got to the cafe. Uh, there was one cafe, and I sat down. I said, like, "This is a pretty charming place. There's nothing, you know, like this racist town's pretty. They make good food, and um, the coffee was nice." But then I saw this flyer on the table which said, "Rally for morality." Oh, and before this, I tried to Google to find the the, the KKK. I thought that maybe you know, I could maybe find yeah. out where the guy is. Anyway, on the poster, the flyer it's a rally for morality. Um, f- uh, Pastor uh, Tom Robb. I was like, that name's familiar. Then I Googled him. He's the head of the KKK. <gasps> but he's also Grand wizard. a pastor at, like, this church that's the front for this rally for morality. And that's, it was a rally against <gasps> gay pride or something. And so I called up the number and uh, I got through to a woman who was helping organise banners or whatever for the rally. And I said, hi, I'd really like to attend the rally for morality. <laughs> um, and I said, can I speak to Pastor Tom Rob? And she actually put me on the phone to you. <gasps> I swear to God. I was in this cafe and so he got on the phone and I said, Hi, Tom. Uh, me and my family are in town. We would just like to attend the rally for morality. What's it going to be about? And he said, Well, we just want to uh, let people know that we're, uh, that we're against uh, g- uh, gay people and what they want to bring to the town. Uh, and I said, um, okay, well, well that's, that's fair enough. Um, I said, are you going to be talking about Muslims as well? I think that's a big problem too. And he goes, well, no, this rally is going to be about gay people. I said, what about Muslim gay people? And he goes, well, <laughs> yeah. we had a bit of a laugh. Um, anyway, uh, long conversation. He goes, where are you from? And I said, where am I from? Oh, um, I'm from, I'm from Australia. <laughs> you don't sound like that. See, I've been here a while. He goes, how long have you been here? I said, I've been here a week. Anyway. <laughs> So I see you at the rally and I hung up the phone. And then I thought, oh, man, this is great. I've got an in with the head of the KKK. We should go film there. I looked around the cafe and everyone's looking at me like, why is this guy talking in? (laughs) I just paid and ran and got back to the hotel. And I told the producers, I was like, guys, I just spoke to the head of the KKK. Stuff the piece that we just did on human extinction. Let's talk about, like, black people extinction. You know, let's go film with the... He knows, he thinks that I'm one of them. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, all right, Nazim, you might have convinced him on the phone, but look at your face, all right? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, anyway, that, I got in lots of trouble for, for leaving and then calling the really? So we had to fair. leave pretty, pretty soon afterwards. Wow. But it's kind of not what you think. Like, I thought you go to a, a, a racist town, you're just going to see racist people everywhere, just... But, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty... T- it's kind of like... Um, it's like Ballarat almost. Oh. No, it's in the, the the look and feel. Of oh it. right! Oh. <laughs> Jeez, Shout Shout out Ballarat. to all Ballarat. No, Ballarat is really racist. racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, you, know, you, you dig a little deep and get a racism gold. <laughs> oh, sorry, Ballarat. You know what I mean. I don't think it goes that far. It's fine. <laughs> Was this the same trip that you were detained when you were trying to get into it? I've been detained, well, three times I've been uh, detained. I've, I've been to the States four times, three times. First two times interrogated for four hours. First time I got interrogated, I got a letter from the US ambassador apologising about the first time. And they said, take this letter the next time you go. The next time I went, I took that letter. They looked at that at customs and they were like, why do you have this letter? And they interrogated me as a result of that letter. The last time I went was just this year. 
and I had a special visa called an O1 visa. The show, they organised it, which is for extraordinary talent. Um, oh, and, when nice. I, and when I got there, they looked at that and they were like, why do you have this visa? And I said, because I'm, ex- um, I'm extraordinarily talented. They <laughs> <laughs> were like, what's your talent? I said, I'm a comedian. And he goes, well, nothing that you've done so far indicates that that is your profession. Anyway, they said, can you prove that you're a comedian? I said, yeah, can I use your Wi-Fi? Anyway, long story short, I got into the Netflix app uh, after a few of them discussed whether it was all right. I used their Wi-Fi because I said I've got a shit data plan. And uh, we, we, we fast-forwarded to the three comedy pieces that I do on the show. We started watching them. And a minute into watching these pieces, it became pretty evident that I was the only one laughing. <laughs> At my face. So it was, um, you know, uh, after watching like three of like 15 minutes of me uh, on my mobile, one of them said he's got a funny accent and the other one was like, oh, and, they, and they stamped my thing. And they let me, so was, that was only one hour. That was the first time under Trump that I've been to the States and I saved three hours. So, you know. <laughs> say, say what you want about Say what Trump. you want about him, mate. I mean, you know. So if you're a Muslim out there thinking of going on the get yourself on a Netflix show. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Streamline the process for yourself. The show this Saturday is called Public Frenemy. It's at the Yarraville Club. We've been talking to Nazim Hussain. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.